This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com, here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis, and today I'm delighted to have a really fun guest. And this, um, my guest today is John Downs. He is a branch manager with Caliber Home Loans. And John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So you, I was just going to ask you this. You're in um, Maryland, aren't you? I am. So is I am in... Yeah, a little town called Annapolis, Maryland, so it's, we're probably about yep. 30, 40 minutes uh, due east of D.C. Yep, love Annapolis, absolutely love it. Well, let me tell everybody about you. Um, you are the architect and founder of, the Down, of Downs Capital, which is your team's name inside of Caliber, and um, one of the things that I think that's really great is that you're not content to be a top mortgage um, produ- broker. You want to reinvent the process of getting a mortgage, and that um, you know, you're leading with the process uh, that you have and setting expectations with your partners and your clients so that you have, uh, so to speak, raving fans, wow customers, the customer experience is great, and it sets you apart from everybody else. Um, and I think that is really, really powerful. I hope everybody's listening to that. Um, your motto is wealth for the next generation. And uh, because I'm on the back side of things, you're, you're on the front side of things, so you've got a lot of growth going in there uh, for the next years. I also want you to um, tell us a little bit about your production as well so that everyone has a full understanding of who you are. Totally. Yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm in the midst of a transition kind of. Um, so little background, I've been in the business, this is now my 17th year, and there have probably been three iterations of me. Um, and I'm sure we can kind of touch <laughs> yeah. on that a little bit later. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, if you go maybe off the last five years, so, you know, 90 to 100 million-ish in volume, which sounds like a lot, but I am in the D.C. metro area, so it's not a tremendous number of units. So I've I'm, I'm been in the typically 200-unit-ish range per year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the transition I'm making right now is is to try and just grow other people. Uh, and part of it is just work-life balance. Um, part of it is, you know, sometimes you, I wouldn't call it burnout at all, um, but the idea of, you know, I get more energy out of growing other people these days and try to, to show them how I built my business. Um, so I'm, I'm more mentoring and, and uh, coaching a branch. So I think as a branch, we'll probably last year, we finished up a little under 200 million. It was about 460 units. Um, you know, and of course, this year projection, we're hoping about 350 million. So big growth year. Um, but, but we have all the pieces in place. So you could call me half uh, loan officer still and then producing branch manager although I'd, mm-hmm. I don't really think those two roles should be put together, <laughs> but it is. Yeah, I know. Me. Yeah. And it, and it is a struggle. It can be because I'm, I'm in that position. I understand that. I'm a 
exactly where you are. Okay, so that gives us an idea about, about um, the production that you're doing now and as a team and as, you know, a whole branch itself. So tell us about how you got into the mortgage business and then where was the tipping point? You know, so you got in like everybody else. Nobody goes to school for this. You got in like everybody else. And then where was the tipping point that took you into a mega producer? And, and what are some of the things that you did that made that difference in that tipping point? Sure. So when I say there were, there were really three different iterations of me, I, I think mm-hmm. I could tell three different stories because I'm, I'm a sort of a great uh, test study or case study of someone that sort of got in young. I found instant mm-hmm. success. I, I thought it was luck that wound up putting me in the right place. Um, I answered some questions right. Um, I, and then I instantly found success and then just worked really hard to maintain it. Um, and to shed a little bit of light on that, I, I, when I was hired, I was early 20s, right out of college. Uh, some friends from college went into this business and they said, hey, why don't you come over and do it? Um, I was, they gave me a salary for four months of 30, 3250 a month, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then after that, I was straight commission with maybe a $2,000 draw or something like that. So something very similar to kind of how they do it today. And, mm-hmm. um, and they said, you are going to train for 30 days. Um, and then you're going to go call on builders. And they gave me three scripts that I was supposed to use. And then on day 31, I drove around. Uh, the first builder site that I pulled up to to walk in, I was too nervous to walk in it. Uh, so I went to the <laughs> yeah. next one, didn't go yeah. in. And then the next site that I went to, they had too many cars. So I didn't get out of my car and I went to the next one. And then the next one didn't have enough cars. So I was like, well, I don't want to go in that one either. So it was three stops. <laughs> had no action. And then I got irritated at myself and just sort of like, as I drove up to the next one, I sort of psyched myself out. I turned the radio up really loud. And I said, the second I pull in the front, I'm going to slam the car in park and I'm going to throw my door open. I'm going to get out. And that fourth site, as I walked in, the, the sales agent was slamming his phone down, mad at the lender, asked me three questions. I answered them right. And I instantly became a $40 million producer. So, wow. so it was, it wow. truly was luck that put me in that spot. And then I'm young, so I can work seven days a week and 14 hour days. And I I knew nothing different. Uh, My family were just a bunch of workers. And uh, so of course in 2008, uh, the world ended. Um, And in 2009, every single one of my builders went bankrupt. And my entire pipeline was, you know, 150 LTV um, jumbo loans. You know, it's yeah. so nothing mm-hmm. that could be refinanced. So 2009, I kind of rebuilt in a different market, tried and, and did resale business, kind of popped up pretty, you know, to take a step back. I was in the, the high $80 million range back then in 2006 and seven. went to maybe $18 million the following year. So that was a little sobering. Mm-hmm. Um, 2009, I actually rebounded a little and started doing some resale. Uh, I was kind of up to the $40, $50 million range. But I realized that I wasn't in the market that, got me excited, whether it was the real estate agents I was dealing with. I, I didn't have a lot of friends in the business. I felt like I was a sort of a commodity. Yeah. Um, and then I, I related really well to young professional uh, people in DC. So in 2012, I actually gave all my referral partners away. I met with all of them and said, I'm taking a different path. I'm no longer going to be the person doing your pre-approvals. I introduced them to other people in the branch. And I kind of started over in 2012. Um, And 
you know, four years later did $100 million. So I, I, everyone sort of looks at me and they're like, hey, John's rebuilt himself three times. <laughs> you know, right. see what John did to get started. Uh, you know, and, and what's funny is I did the same thing each time. I, I, don't, I think the job can be very simple, um, and I think we overcomplicate things. I think we all try to use a spin of technology or a spin of a product niche. And really it's just all about making friends. And I think, you know, I just had a meeting with two loan officers this morning that are struggling a little bit uh, in my branch. And what I noticed is they're just creating a hit list of people and trying to call those people and present a selling proposition and then waiting for leads to come in the door. But when you really peel back the people they're calling and meeting with, they're there is zero chance of a friendship developing because their personalities mm-hmm. are completely different, their likes, their everything, their business mix, their strengths, the way they dress, everything. And I, I just I think if people just realize that this is still a people business, um, that they should just focus on you know going deep with the right people, and that would be much more rewarding, and they would probably grow much faster. So that was sort of like the big lesson that I learned from those three different times of, of going out and, and growing. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. It's sort sort of like the three little pigs. This one worked, that one didn't, this one held. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Um yeah, it's kind of like that. Um so you said quite a few things that I would just want to capture and make sure that, you know, we expand on. And this really is what takes us down this road whenever we do any of these, you know, interviews is um, you know, sort of, sort of what you say. So I want to just point out um a couple things to make sure everybody gets this information out, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. The first is there's a book called Mr. Schmooze, and I think I've recommended this a couple of times on the podcast um, that talks about building relationships and identifying people that are important in your life and or important in your business. What you can't do is have people that are not important in your life and not important in your business. You need to cease and assist those conversations and those relationships. And so that's what he talks about in this book. It's a real simple, easy read. It's just kind of a story, sort of like what you just said. So I want to make sure everybody understands that. I also want to you know, heed on what you also said, which is that sometimes you're talking to the wrong people and saying the wrong thing. Sometimes you're saying the right thing, but talking to the wrong people, right? (laughs) And sometimes you're saying the wrong thing and talking to the right people. So I think understanding, um, like you had mentioned about scripting, so to speak, but understanding who you're talking to and what you're saying. So if you're saying the wrong thing to the to the good producers, you're not going to get business. If you're saying the right thing to people that aren't producing, referral partners, you won't get the business. And obviously, if you say the wrong thing to the wrong people, you aren't either. So I think it's important that everyone understand that it takes, it takes a lot of guts to do what you did, John, in your third um, iteration of yourself when you said goodbye to partners, because we're so afraid in this business that um, we're like cats on a marble floor. You know, we're so afraid to let go of people because of the, the waiting and hoping that we have, or the, the thought that, well, one day they'll like me. They really will you know, right. if I just work hard enough. Yeah. So it takes a lot of guts to say no. So that said, um, you made a comment about working hard, and I, I think that's really important. I see it a lot even in people in my branch you know, and, and the people that I coach is not wanting to work hard. Everybody wants this quickly, and it's not a quick fix. It is about working hard. So I'd like you to talk about two things. One is um, the working hard because, and then the second is when you let go of these partners, that's a scary thing. So you let go of the partners, and, and I'd like to hear just a little bit more about, you know, that thought process behind it and what your next step was going to be and who you were going to go after. But it also meant 
working hard quickly to get new relationships in your pocket. Yes. Yeah, it, it's so when I so what I realized in, you know, it, it's weird backstory. So um, so I was probably the biggest mama's boy you've ever met, like by far. Talked to my mother four times a day, almost yeah. my whole life. She worked for me even for a couple of years and she passed away in 2009. Oh, um, somewhat sudden, you know, breast cancer. And, yeah. and but um, what I noticed and then I fell into like a mini depression in 2000, but not really. Right. Like. Not, no, I know what you mean. Anything, but yeah. just, but like, yeah. like, like life just sort of like, I just had no drive. Um, yeah. not a lot of purpose. And then, so in what happened and what I realized is that in 2000, from 2001 to 2009, um, I worked so hard for everybody. And, and there's a, a, a book out there that one of my old coaches, I don't know if you know the building champions organization, yep. but they have mm-hmm. kind of a master's coaching group and Daniel Harkavy mm-hmm. is the, the CEO. And he wrote mm-hmm. a book, a life planning book called living forward. Mm-hmm. And on one of his presentations, he said, you know, so when you build a life plan, you start with the end. So you act like, okay, you're, you're dead, which is a little morbid. And you're in the casket and you're looking out at the church. And, and he said, you know, who's in rows one, two, and three. And then now look at rows 24, 5, and 6. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to look at yourself and say, you know, how are you living your life? Are you living it for rows 24, 5, and 6 at the expense of rows 1, 2, and 3? Or are mm-hmm. rows 1, 2, and 3 a big priority for you? And what I realized is that my whole life was being run by people that I didn't even really consider real friends. When my phone rang, it sucked all the energy out of me. I looked at it and I'm like, ugh, I got to talk to that yeah. person. <laughs> and <laughs> been so there. Yeah. In two, yeah. So in 2012, I said, no, I'm, I'm going to rebuild business on my own terms. I want to get excited when the phone rings. I want to work hard and I, I enjoy working hard and we'll explain what I think hard work is. Um, when I, when I, I'm excited about that person and that relationship and, and I was in the business doing the job, but not enjoying it at all and making a lot of money doing the job, but still Mm -hmm. not enjoying the job. Right. Like, so then in 2012, it was kind of, I couldn't even think of growing my business if I was continually saddled with the current business that I had. And I actually have some loan officers right now that I'm mentoring where they're stuck in a rut of really hard low volume loans with agents that are just basically using them for a credit pool system is what it looks like. And every credit reports, you know, trashy and every loan's ridiculously hard. Right. It, all, none of these people really want to buy a house, but the agent's trying to, you know, use a crowbar to get them in. And, um, and whenever we talk and they, they end, they're like, yeah, I just got to get better business. And like, well, you're never going to get better business unless you get rid of that first because mm-hmm. you need to clear your mind and you need to have time and you need to have some dedication to that other piece and be 100% present for that other piece if you really want it. Um, but when you're always just sort of muddling through the current day, you're only going to give 10% effort to your future growth and that 90% is going to keep pulling you back. That's at least my personal feeling. Right. Um, so for the hard work piece, you know, it, it's um, the job does kind of stink in a sense where I think, you know, this speed to call, speed to response, the, the next available kind of person, you know, yeah. if it's Friday at 8 o'clock, someone wants a, a something, you know, I, I do believe, unfortunately, when you're new in, in any business, I think availability is what you have versus the other person that might be super experienced. And I've certainly fallen into a little rut where I thought my experience should supersede my availability, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm so good at what I do. Um, 
you will wait for me to call you back in five hours uh, because I'm busy, but you'll wait because right. I'm really good. <laughs> and right. and uh, people don't wait. Uh, you know, I think when we, when we realize the emotional state of people trying to buy a house or trying to get pre-qualified, it's like an itch that they just need to scratch right away. So, um, so working hard is, and it doesn't mean you always have to be available, but maybe it means you send a quick text saying, hey, I'm just getting ready to jump out to dinner with my family. Is it okay if I give you a call back at 8 o'clock? Yeah. You know, versus just letting it go to voicemail and then trying to call them at eight, forgetting, and then calling them tomorrow morning and they already went to Quicken. You know, so I, yeah. I, think, I think hard work is, is understanding who your client is, the emotional state of your person as they're reaching out for a request. You know, um, you know a, a, a common coach that we both share, you know, Tim, yeah. Tim Brahim, yeah. you know, we know him really well. He's got a great phrase of always under-promising and over-delivering. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you talk to someone on the phone and you say, hey, what if I give you this, the, your presentation by tomorrow at 5, uh, but yet you do it today at 5 and say, you know, yeah. I really know this was important to you. I didn't really want you to wait till tomorrow, so I kind of rearranged my schedule and I wanted to get this out to you today. How about we make a phone call for tomorrow at 5 to go over this presentation I'm giving you right now? Um, you know, just constantly always saying, hey, something might take a day or two, but then delivering it in three or four hours. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of that hard work is just uh, being available, uh, having a good team behind you. So sometimes it's not you that needs to work hard, but maybe your team, you just need to have proper structure to satisfy the demands of whatever your client is, right, and whatever their needs are. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Yeah, and as I'm listening to you, you know, this is one of the things that, that uh, I talk about all the time. Is It's funny that you said, you know, that you thought your experience would be enough, right? When you're a new person, you don't have that experience. So all you have is the reactionary mode. When you're an experienced person, you're sort of over the reactionary mode. <laughs> and you say, look, it, I've right. earned this, right? <laughs> um, and uh, so I think there's a, a nice combination in that that you just mentioned. You know, it's really important. I mean, I, I you know, can speak to my, my practice as well is that uh, I find I'm not present when I react I find that I'm much more present when I when I do put a, you know some time frames around it. So my my phrase is usually, um, hey, I'm walking into a meeting, um, and you know, or about ready to meet a client or whatever, or going to dinner, whatever you want to say. Would it be okay if I called you back between three and five when I'm in front of my computer and can dedicate 100% of my time and attention to serving you? And I've never had someone say now. I want you to talk to me now because I don't want your attention. I don't want you to dedicate 100% of your time. I don't want you to serve me. Right? So it, right. it, gives, it, it puts the framework around being in more control of our, our uh, business and our practice than just knee-jerk reacting. So, so if you're listening in on this, you know, listen to what John's saying. Listen to what, you know, think about what you're doing. Listen to what I'm saying and come up with a combination that works really well for you that um, really ensures that you're delivering really high-quality customer, high customer experience because these days it's not about service, it's about experience. Um, so thank you for sharing that because I think that that really does um, explain, you know, what you're trying to do with your business. So let's go back to your resale, not your resale, that's what I wrote down, your third um, iteration of yourself when you're doing resale. Um, and you let your partners go. And you said, okay, now what? So I'm a loan officer listening to this podcast and I'm having to reinvent myself this year 
for whatever reason, a move in across the country, the markets changed. Um, I had a death in the family. I, too, had a death in the family recently, and I, I can certainly understand that position of just sort of being numb for a year. Um, and, uh, you know, so whatever the situation, what was your next step that took it from 2012 to here we are, 2018? What was the next step that really made a significant impact in your ability to grow to that kind of volume? Sure. So um, there's a, so this, I didn't read this book other than recently I read the book, but there's a book called Ninja Selling, which mm-hmm. is probably my single favorite book to give to anyone in sales period, because it's just like a true definition of relational sales. Obviously, there's a real estate a twist to the entire book. It's written by a real estate company. Um, but there's a chapter in there that says you're either visible or invisible. Mm-hmm. So you're either visible or invisible. And, you know, and I often thought um, back when I was doing that in 2012, I said, okay, so I, I was flying across the country in a plane and someone just booted me out somewhere. How would you grow business? Well, well the very first thing is you just, people need to know that you're alive. Um, so how do they know you're alive? And, and how can they know that you're alive when you're on a really constrained budget? right? Where you you can't just buy Mm -hmm. a bunch of advertising. And, you know, back then Facebook ads weren't really a thing. Um, Although I will tell you that some of my new people, we've been using Facebook ads and they're totally, they're really doing awesome. I'll explain that in a second. But um, so the playbook was pretty simple. It was one, try to find a list of who all the players were. Um, So, you know, whether you reach title companies or you just, I forget what the site was back then. I looked at um, here locally in DC, but I can't, it's escaping me, but there was a website where you could just sort of like look up sales, kind of like a Zillow in a way, but you could really just sort of figure out, and it was a ton of number crunching. I probably spent, I'd get up every morning at five o'clock and from five to eight, I was on my computer just doing math. You know, this guy sold this many units for this much volume, this many listings, this many sales. So I kind of created a hit list. Um, and let's call that hit list. It was about 200 people. Um, LinkedIn was just kind of a thing back then. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't huge anyway. I, I, I didn't use it very well. I use it a lot now. Um, but the idea was just to walk into an open house every Saturday and Sunday. And, and what I found is I did very little work Monday through Friday for the first month because all I did was just save up and, and practice and research. And I would do open houses every Saturday and Sunday. And it was a little, again, it was like that gut wrenching thing that you're walking in this house for the very first time to meet an agent and they don't want you there. But, you know, I created a script that worked for me pretty well. And I just walk in, you know, and I I have a constant smile on my face. So I think that's easier. Um, I would always dress in a nice suit. Um, You know, DC is definitely a suit driven environment. um, So that worked when I wear a suit in the suburbs, people, it is different. Um, So I don't wear a suit in the suburbs when I did that plan. Um, But in the city, you know, walk in and have a smile and be like, hi, I'm John from, at that point it was uh, MetLife. and I said, you know, look, I'm just, let me kind of go back in my frame of mind here for a second. So I would walk in and I would say, um, you know, hi, I'm John. I'm sure I'm the last person you want to see. I'm a lender, um, but we're actually trying to grow our presence in the area. And honestly, like you guys don't work from the office anymore. So this is kind of the only way we can really see you. So anyway, I apologize, but I'm John Downs and I'd reach my hand out and mm-hmm. it would either we would connect or we wouldn't. 
And again, because I'm such a people person, if we connected, I would continue a follow-up campaign. If we didn't, I'd never call them again. So some would tell me that I'm wrong and I, sh I should have followed up with everybody. Um, but then what I would do is it would be a handwritten card on Monday. It would be yep. a phone call on Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, the phone call was re requesting a quick coffee appointment of something. And a lot of those people didn't do it. So then I would make open house flyers, just like those silly open house sheets that no one ever really uses, but they like to get. Um, and, and I would keep tracking the people for uh, their next open house. And then ahead of their next open, I would email them the, um, the open house flyer. Um, and everything would, would, would sort of start from that. They'd email back, oh, thank you so much. Actually, I was just looking out for someone to, you know, get that for me. And then I would right. swing by an open house again, and eventually you would get the coffee or the lunch, and then you'd get a few leads. They'd see how well you did. Then you'd solicit the listing agents. But if you would think I could see five open houses, that was about the most on um, Saturdays and Sundays, like each day, I would see 10 every weekend. Um, I, I noticed that I would get two to three real responses and meetings from that approximately three weeks later. So if you think of doing that for four or five straight months, all yeah. of a sudden you've got a pretty good pool of people. And in our mm -hmm. world, you only really need six, seven loans a month to kind of start paying your bills a little bit. Right. And then I just built momentum from that. Um, and I think, you know, soliciting listing agents was a big thing. Um, you know, understanding what my niche was and understanding my why. So there's another book, Simon Sinek, mm -hmm. you know, it starts with yep. why. Um, awesome, awesome, awesome book. I, again, didn't read it back then. I kind of inherently did it. But, you know, I sort of framed up to all the partners, you know, you're going to send people to me if they want to have fun through the process, if they want a real deep education, um, and um, or it's like a really messed up condo because we're really good at condos and I know condos inside and out. So any kind of like weirdness, whatever, and you think mm -hmm. condo, you, you know, you should think of John. And I think by just saying those things, as they met someone, they would be like, oh, young person, sort of fun, needs a lot of education, John, <laughs> right? Or someone right. looking at a condo and, and they read something in the remarks that might look a little funny or they talk to the listing agent, they're like, oh, let me, get, let me call John. So I think we do need to frame to people where we're good. Like send yeah. me these type of people because I'm really good with these type of people. Um, there's another person in, in one of my coaching groups and we were talking about, you know, how to follow up with agents to make them disciples after the first meeting. And one key thing we realized is that there needs to be a behavior change uh, because that real estate agent is so used to getting lead and instantly hitting forward to their loan officer of, of choice over the last however many months. And to then forward, like change that behavior to say, send that same person to me. It takes coaching. It takes some scripting. It takes a whole bunch of value. It takes maybe framing the people that you work best with so that you just start changing the triggers in their mind so they start thinking of you. Uh, and I think a lot of people fail to realize that. They're, they just keep going in saying, I'm great, I'm responsive, my rates are good, my products are awesome, my company's great, I close loans yep. faster than anyone, my appraisal panel is really good. Yeah. And all that stuff's fine, except every person out there says that. <laughs> so, right. like, like, really, why you? Uh, and I think if you can articulate that well, you're not going to get maybe every one of those leads. You will eventually, but you just need to get a couple. And then once they, you get a couple, they'll see how great you are, and they'll see the relationship that you build, and then they'll want to give you everything.
Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, you know, we, and I, I believe we've probably talked about this before, but I'm going to say it again. The problem that we have in our industry and in many industries with sales and, and other things is that we are a commodity. And the only way to get out of that commodity is to identify what you're best at and what you're the expert at. And it will be that you're only perhaps for a period of time going to get those types of loans. This is why, you know, back in the, t- in the, in the day in 2004 and, and that time frame, when people said, I do bad credit, that everybody got bad credit. And it just continued because you were already that expert. Even though the credit crunch had come, come and gone, people were still calling you because you were the credit expert, but you couldn't do anything for them because that wasn't available anymore, right? So, right. so there's a fear, I think, of, of niching yourself into... Uh, whatever it is that that you want to do for fear that you're not going to get any business. But the fact of the matter is you're not getting any business anyway, being too much, you know, commodity. To a commodity, you're attractive to nobody. As a niche, you're attracted to everybody who loves that niche. And that is a really, really big difference. And you're right. If you do a bang-up job, you will get all of the other deals as well. And I always use, you know, sheets. Um, And for those of you that don't know what that is, just, you know, it's a local – uh, gas station place that has food and stuff. But if you're, if you want, if you're going down the street and you see a 7-Eleven and you see a Sheets and you want a Slurpee, you're going to go to 7-Eleven because that's their specialty. But if you want, you know, the, the, the sandwiches that they make or what, you know, whatever they make fresh right there on the spot, you're going to go to Sheets. You're not going to go to 7-Eleven for their sandwiches. That is taking themselves out of a commodity, and here they are right across the street from each other as competitors for the gas that they're selling, right? So it's not about the price of the gas. It's what I'm going to get when I walk through and get, you know, something on the other side. So I think that's really important. I I hope everybody really heard that, um, that it's important to niche yourself into something that you're really, really good at. You can expand from there. Would you agree? Totally. Yeah, I I think... Yeah. So, you know, all, all those people that I wound up getting, that is how I frame myself. You know, I don't take my, myself too seriously. I do have a lot of fun. People, like, we laugh and we joke. We become friends. Um, I'm a big educator. Now, I will say that part of me being a big educator, it's part of my DNA, but it, it's also a part of living through the crisis. Um, I yeah. really became a therapist, like a housing therapist in yeah, 2009, no 10, 11, 12. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think I was, so I'm 40 right now. Um, and I, I was a little, I was young and naive. And again, I was just doing the job that I was hired to do. And I didn't quite get the importance of what we should be doing as loan officers. And I learned really what our important role is through helping people unwind their life and just realizing how devastating it was making weird and bad decisions. So, you know, I challenge a lot of people to their beliefs, right? Someone says, I want to put 20% down. I challenge them. Are you really sure you want to put 20% down? Let me tell you about a couple right. stories of people that did and some struggles they had Here's after. What right? So I'm, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm just, you know, an, an educator at that. Um, so, but every loan officer would say there's nothing but laughter that comes out of my office all day long. <laughs> and when I'm on my, on a phone call with my referral partners, like we're friends, like we're legitimately friends. We talk like friends. We act like friends. We're still in business together, right? We're partners. But, mm-hmm. um, but I think again, I, that's, that's what I really think everyone needs to focus on that, that friendship. Everyone works harder for friends. No one wants to let a friend down. So your referral partner doesn't want that person to use the online lender because they're letting their friend down. Right. And, and I, you know, it, it, yeah. Tim Brahim always says, you know, the loan officer with the most friends wins. Um, and, and I think that's 
I, I just don't think we can underscore the importance of of the the relationship that you're building and 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 cut and run if the relationship's not there. You know, I I I just learned how much more rewarding this job is when you're working with your friends versus how miserable I was for the first ten years of my career working with all kinds of people where I just didn't want to ever answer the phone. I did because that was my job. Right. Um, right. But now it's now I it's call- really easy. Yeah, I call that working with people who complement my practice, not complicate my practice in every aspect of it, whether it's my team members, you know, a nasty realtor, you know, who's calling and and whining and complaining about everything. And my team's going to look to me and say, what is your problem, Jen, working with these people? Because look what they're doing to us. I mean, they're my client, right? My my team is. Um, All the way to the complication of never getting their ducks in a row and pushing that onto me and then pointing fingers at me, right? Right. So it could be it could be a whole plethora of reasons why someone might complicate your business. And and it might even just be their personality is always going to be a, a challenged personality. And if you feel like you're going to walk on eggshells with that relationship, it, just move on. That Life is too short. Just move on and find someone who isn't going to treat you like that. Yeah, and not only that, like I, I so I, I measure and track everything. I think our CRM's dialed in as as good as it can be, um, whether it's phone calls or interactions or meetings or email responses or or whatever we do. And and when we identify a problem referral partner, the one that requires you know the demands of I need you to call me back right now, right? You get they they call your desk phone, they email you, they text you, and then they do the circuit yeah. all over again, right? Uh, and then they get their assistant to call you. Um, so what we started realizing is that we had tremendous amount of lost business because we were catering to that one personality um, just because yeah. we couldn't get back to other people or we didn't give mm-hmm. the extra love that we normally wanted to give because we're rushing off of a call or we sent a quote, but we didn't have the follow-up conversation. And therefore that person, maybe someone came in and undercut us because we didn't get back fast enough. Um, so it, right. it's, there's a lot of collateral damage of having bad partnerships. Um, and I think we all have this, drive for volume um, instead of realizing if we just surround ourselves with the right people, the volume will take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. If you build, if you build it and you build it well, they will come. I mean, we use that all the time. Yeah. So let's talk about, as we continue this conversation, we're getting close to our, our time ending, but you had said that you wanted to talk about Facebook ads. So I'd like to talk about that real quick and just see what you're doing there so that anybody who's listening in could say, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. I didn't think about it before, but maybe it's time to do it. Because the news is the Internet is not a fling. It is going to be here forever, right? (laughs) So my dad said, "Eh, it's just a fling. It's a fling, honey. No, it isn't. It's here. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So um, back to that, that, uh, in that Ninja Selling book, it was the Be Visible or invisible, right. you're either visible or invisible. So, you know, when I first started, you really could still kind of go to a real estate office and walk in the front door. Um, people, they, they didn't really have personal PCs, right? So they still came into right. the office a ton. Saturday mornings, you knew the office was full, so you could fax blast. Do you remember that? You just like yep. throw oh, a, yeah. you know, Love your rate in a fax machine and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, or you would do the circuit of like drop off whatever. So you could be visible. Uh, back then pretty easily. And I think in today's world, it's really hard to be visible. Um, so the Facebook stuff is a, it's a combination of pieces. Um, so one is I think social media is social. So you're supposed to be yourself, um, which again, I don't take myself too seriously. So I'm my real self on Facebook. There's no image that I'm trying to build. I want to be me. Um, business pages 
I personally believe they're a waste except for advertising. So I think you need one. I think you need to put some junk on there that no one's ever going to look at. Um, but the key of it is that you can run ads from your business page. Yeah. And if you haven't done a targeted audience yet, so for instance, when I get a new lead that comes in and, and their phone number is listed, I immediately go to Facebook. I put their phone number in the search field because Facebook's got in their system, you know, the forgot your password mm-hmm. thing. So they'll text yep. you your whatever. So if you put the cell phone number in there, you immediately get the person and you can start stalking them a little, learn about them before your phone call. <laughs> well, right. You can also take your entire real estate database or whatever business you're in. Like I've talked to many different businesses in my area and I've helped them create uh, custom audiences so that they can actually, even like pharmaceutical sales reps or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just any number of sales you can think of, you get, you get an Excel spreadsheet or CSV, I think you need, and and you put a row of first name, a row of last name, email address, cell phone number, city, state, and maybe there's like four or five other fields, male, female, I forget what else. And you upload that into Facebook and they will give you a percentage match. So our real estate database is big and we had like a 70 some percent match rate. So then what we did is we took each individual loan officer and they're targeting 400 different realtor partners, right? in different areas. And we uploaded those 400 people into Facebook and they wound up getting, you know, anywhere between a 60 and 80% match rate per loan officer. And then we would just run random ads that were nothing more than just to show faces or to promote a message or a new blog that we wrote or um, a market update. Um, But those custom audiences, your ads are being run specifically to those people and no one else. Um, Or you can do a lookalike audience where let's say you want to get after a lot of real estate agents and, and, or take a step back. I wanted to go after my pipeline of clients that purchased in 2012 and 13 and 14, because they all seem to be moving right now. So Mm -hmm. anyone on this phone call, if you're not getting engaged with your past client database, at least go there, go 12, 13, 14 and go heavy on those people. Um, So we set an ad, based on all those customers, first name, last name, email address, cell phone number, and we put it into Facebook, almost got a 100% match, and we just ran ads saying, thinking of moving. Should you, should you rent your house if you move? How do you use equity from your current home to buy a new house? It was a series of different ads, and the engagement was crazy, and all these people came back to us, and we re-engaged all of our realtor partners with it. So, so I think the key takeaway is the, the Facebook ads using um, Target, target audiences or custom audiences uh, is really, really, really beneficial. And I think for any salesperson, you know, Facebook throttles everything and they keep changing their algorithm. Uh, It's even harder now, I think, with that new change they had just very recently. So the the custom audiences might be one of the only ways you can get your professional message to the right people moving forward. Um, And that has been really helpful for my new people um, that they basically, the agents are saying, yeah, I see you everywhere. So you're visible and you're visible. Now your weekly sales call is that ad. It's not maybe the flyby to the real estate office that you can't do anymore. Right. And they think you, they know you, they already think they know you because you're friends on Facebook. Right. (laughs) You know, it's amazing how it's just that, that, you know, we're friends on Facebook. So we're really good friends. Oh, I don't even know who you are, but that's cool. You think so. Right. So yeah, hopefully, like listen, right. yeah, no, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. Well, the other part is, um, you know, if, back to the, to the friendship thing, um, yeah. you know, Facebook, I know a lot of people, they don't, 
want to use Facebook for business. They're like, oh, well, I don't want to be business, whatever. And I, I think the key is you don't have to be. The key is you're a person. And when you share pictures of your dog or your kids or your family or your funny something, um, eliminating, you know, all politics. Although some people say um, if, if you have a specific message and you really want to attract those people, I think that's Gary Vaynerchuk, right? He says something like, you know, who yeah. cares if 80% of the people out there don't like your message? You only want the 20% to do anyway. So say whatever mm -hmm. your message is. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, but I, I do think it's, 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 um, it is a key piece of business. Whenever I am active on Facebook personally, I do more volume from people I haven't talked to in a while. When all of a sudden I go dark for 30 or 40 days, and it happens a lot when I get overwhelmed with life, I just I, Facebook dies to me. Um, next thing you know, I, I, things soften a little. And I can't say it's because of Facebook and my involvement there, but I swear there's a tie. There's something there that when I'm more visible, I get more visit business. When I disappear, my volume drops. Uh, yeah. And I just think that, that Facebook, Instagram, whatever you use, I think that's a, a key component to it. Well, and I think the other thing is being consistent with it, you know, and, and like you were saying, there are times when you're not consistent, and I, I certainly understand that, but I imagine someone like you is very consistent for the majority of the time, and once in a while you get inconsistent. I'm talking about people that are not consistent at all, you know, and are listening to this and saying, okay, shiny object, I'm going to go do this, do Facebook audience. And I, I do this as well. I love it. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to go do Facebook audience and I'm, I'm going to, you know, really hone in and get to know all these people. Now I have them. Yay. <laughs> right. And then they don't do anything else with it. So I want to make sure that everybody's hearing that because this is very, very powerful information. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us because, um, but, but again, you've got to, you've got to do time blocks. You've got to set aside the time or ha hire the people to make sure that they're engaging with the people because just getting a bunch of friends and not being visible and, and engaging with them will not work, will not work. Yeah. So right. you might no, get a, a dabble yeah. here, maybe. You know, but right. you'll still be, still yeah, be struggling. And, yeah, and there's the always, you know, like back to everything. Engaging is engaging with comments or messenger, you know, and, and mm -hmm. not just clicking a whole bunch of random likes. And you don't even Correct. have to be a poster. That's what's funny is I, I've I've one young lady in my branch, and she's not like honestly like my life is really simple. Like I I, I wake up, I go to work, I have a few meetings, I go home, and I play with my kids um, every day. Saturday, Sunday, I play with my kids almost all day. <laughs> so it's a but I can I can put a lot of pictures of them out there, but I I don't a lot. Um, and there are some people that think like oh I'm just not that social person. I don't do anything that's cool, and I don't have any posts that's funny. Um, so just know that some of the best success we're having in our branch is where people are. Tr truly just commenting and never posting a single thing and then taking the comments to messenger and creating some banter back and forth that way. And they're building awesome connections um, and never posting a single thing themselves. So I, I think there's another important lesson in that too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Wonderful stuff. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, John. It really um, means a lot. And I know that everyone's going to absolutely love listening to um, this podcast and taking some of these wonderful ideas and putting them in place. Is there something that you'd like to leave with us? If you could leave one thing right now to leave with everyone real quickly, what would it be? Jeez, so to leave one powerful message you know, I, I really think focusing on building a sustainable business 
of, of friends is honestly my biggest message because everything gets easy then. I really yeah. do believe if, if everyone stops looking at the job so tactically, if that's a word, you know, where, mm -hmm. for instance, all the people I know that do Zillow, you know, Zillow lead comes in, you call minute one, minute five, minute 10, minute 20, you send an email, minute 30, a phone call, hour four, right? Like that's tactical right. and everything's about lead conversion and speed of whatever. Um, it, it's, it's, that's a grind and it's a hard business and it's, I don't believe it's overly sustainable, but when you're building a business on friendships, uh, it's just, I've seen magic happen. And once I can get a loan officer to realize that the job is about relationships and not the tactical, what you do all day, their business explodes. But when they're in that tactical mindset, I, they just, they, they bump along. Um, and then once their eye gets open, like, holy smokes, this is all about just building relationships and being me and being friendly and open and honest. And it, it just, there's like a windfall of energy and loans that come their way. Um, and, and I, I don't see a lot of that in the business um, these days. Yeah, I think it's very tactical, and uh, no, I would I would totally agree with you, and I think that's very important. And I think the other thing is being present. Um, we we get so scattered, you know, we're listening to people but not really listening, and they know that, and it's because we're worried about the appraisal that just came in low. We're worried about you know somebody who's on our team that isn't doing some part of their job that they need to do. We need to be really aware of uh, the slow down to speed up factor of For life. For sure, oh, that. That is actually my biggest goal of 2018 is, fo is, is working on being present uh, because I, I am the, uh, I have been a king multitasker, um, which means you're doing nothing well. And, um, and it, what's interesting is that being present mindset. And I've actually, my whole team went on a workshop and, and a big part of that was all about being present. And when you get your whole environment of everyone being actively present, it's amazing how much more efficient you get and how many fewer mistakes are made, how much more compassion comes out from everybody. So it's that, that's a great, great tip. I wish someone taught me that 15 years ago. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Actually, it was a lesson learned. It was a realtor who said to me, you know, I really, really like you, but I just always feel like you don't have time for me. And it was a lesson oh. learned. And I'm still very good friends with him, and I do a lot of work with him, and he's a broker owner of a REMAX office, and it was the best advice he ever gave me. And so I'm acutely aware of it when I'm with him, especially, but with everyone else, I said, okay, that's it. I've got to change. I, I'm busy. I get that, but I need to slow down to speed up. And mm -hmm. um, that was my goal like two years ago. So I'm glad you're on that bandwagon. Well, listen, John, thank you so much for spending time with us today in your busy day to share with um, this information with us. And I know everyone can find you on Facebook. It's John Downs, D-O-W-N-S, not an E-S here. want to make sure we get that, at Caliber in Annapolis, Maryland. So if you want to reach out to John through instant message or whatever, feel free to reach out to him anytime. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer some of your questions. So thank you again, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, we'll catch you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.